You know, some people enjoy composing their own music, chord by chord, and others are happiest when they come across that one perfect song. Work is not a lot different than that. Whether you prefer building your own workflow or using a pre-made template, with Monday.com, you and the team can work in a way that's comfortable for everyone. Tap the banner to go to Monday.com and build your own amazing workflow or find an awesome template. No judgment. Introducing Bluehost Cloud, ultra-fast WordPress hosting with 100% uptime. Want a website with unmatched power, speed, and control? Of course you do. And now you can have all three with Bluehost Cloud, the new web hosting plan from Bluehost. With 100% uptime and incredibly speedy load times, your WordPress websites will be dependable and lightning fast on a global scale. Plus, your sites can handle even the biggest traffic spikes without going down or lagging. And with Bluehost Cloud, you get 24-7 WordPress priority support, meaning you're connected to WordPress experts anytime you need them. Not to mention, you automatically get daily backups and world-class security. So, what are you waiting for? Get Bluehost Cloud today by visiting bluehost.com. That's bluehost.com. Welcome to Intelligence Squared U.S. I'm John Donvan. And wow, that Gutenberg guy, 1455, he churns out a Bible with movable type. And how would that be described if it were today? Well, we would say that Gutenberg was really rocking the religious content space with a platform of innovation and disruption, putting, putting the whole God brand in front of a whole lot more sticky eyeballs for Scripture. <laughs> Pardon my buzzwords, please. But now comes Amazon. And is that perhaps as historic? One-click shopping, e-books, disruptive? Amazon could very well drive traditional publishers and -and brick-and-mortar bookstores completely out of the book space. And is that a good thing or a bad thing? Well, that sounds like the makings of a debate. So let's have it. Yes or no to this statement. Amazon is the reader's friend. A debate from Intelligence Squared U.S. I'm John Donvan. Let's meet our debaters. Please, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the stage, Joe Conrath. Joe, you are uh, an author known for your best-selling thrillers. Uh, You are also one of the leaders and biggest advocates in the field of self-publishing. You did the traditional book publishing route, but your real success, and that means millions of books that you've sold, came after you decided to self-publish with Amazon. How did readers find you? Well, I hope they find me entertaining. (laughs) I, I hope we'll find you entertaining as well tonight. Joe Conrath... Who is your partner? My partner is the wonderful, the drop-dead sexy editor at Vox, Matthew Iglesias. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome Matthew Iglesias. Matt, you are also arguing for the motion that Amazon is the reader's friend. You are, as just mentioned, executive editor at Vox.com. You write a lot about economics and business and politics. You wrote a book called The Rent is Too Damn High. And you come from a family of writers, novelists, in fact. Your father, your grandparents, your brother. Are they on your side in this debate? Well, my my father happens to be here live, so I I like to think he's voting strategically and, and sort of rigging the debate in my favor. All right. Well, we're going to have to check on his vote later on. But let's welcome this team to the stage, arguing for the motion. But we have two writers arguing against the motion. Amazon is the reader's friend. First, please, let's welcome Franklin Foer. 
author of a book about globalization called How Soccer Explains the World, and until recently, editor of The New Republic. That's a different debate. We'll have another time. In the October issue of The New Republic, you actually wrote that uh, cover story, and the title you gave that cover story happens to sum up a lot of your feelings about this debate topic. Can you tell the audience what that title was? It might be a touch obtuse for my opponents, but it was called Amazon Must Be Stopped. <laughs> Subtle. And, and, and your partner is? Well, he's the author of Presumed Innocent, and tonight you should presume him correct, Scott Turow. Ladies and gentlemen, Scott Turow. Scott Turow, you are also arguing against the motion that Amazon is the reader's friend. Uh, you're a past president of the Authors Guild and, as mentioned, written a lot of bestsellers a lot of us have heard of, and not just because they've turned into movies, but a lot of them have. You have been criticizing Amazon in the past, particularly uh, in its uh, 2014 um, struggle with Hachette Publishing. Hachette, through Grand Central Publishing, has published your books. We just want to get that out there. Uh, but all of this, does this mean that you are not a member of Amazon Prime? No, I, I am a member of Amazon Prime, but, but I refuse to buy anything from Amazon during the course of the uh, Hachette Amazon uh, brouhaha, and for many years now. Point of principle. I would call it patriotism. All right, ladies and gentlemen, Scott Turow and the team arguing against the motion that Amazon is the reader's friend. Now, this is a debate. There will be one team winning and one team losing, and that decision is made by our live audience here in New York. By the time the debate has ended, you will have been asked to vote two times, once before the debate and once again after the debate, and the winning team is that whose numbers have changed the most in percentage point terms between the first vote and the second vote. Let's move on to round one. Round one, opening statements by each debater in turn. Our motion is this. Amazon is the reader's friend. And here to argue first in support of this motion, Matt Iglesias. He is executive editor of Vox.com. He is author of the book, The Rent is Too Damn High. Ladies and gentlemen, Matt Iglesias. Thank you. Amazon is the reader's friend. Uh, and I think you can see that Amazon is the reader's friend by just asking, why are we debating this at all? Why is this a subject of controversy? It's a subject of controversy because Amazon is really big. They have 41% of all books sold. I saw in a, a statistic from last March, and 67% of all digital books. And it naturally raises the question, you know, how did the company get so big? Why are they so dominant? My argument is they're so dominant in this space because they're the reader's friend. Who buys books? It's readers. Amazon sells books to the vast majority of readers because it's good for readers. Another argument, you know, uh, Frank has, has written that Amazon is some kind of a monopoly, some kind of a, an abusive force that's dominating the marketplace, maybe through nefarious means, something like that. And I think that that's, that's just not true. Because the fact of the matter is, even though Amazon has an extremely large share of the market, it faces a ton of competition. Um, I, I don't know about uh, you guys, but uh, I'm the, the owner of an iPhone. Uh, it turns out these phones, they're connected directly to digital stores. Uh, you can find, I'm not sure if it's every Scott Turow novel, but, but a great deal of them. They're there in the Google store. They're there in the Apple store. These are companies that are competing with Amazon. And they're not like... 
These are not small, weak, pathetic, helpless uh, uh, companies, right? Amazon's not going to drive Apple out of business. They're not going to drive Google out of business. What they are doing is beating them badly in the electronic book space. Uh, So how is it that they're doing that? Did they uh, do something sneaky? No. They have a better product, right? You can get uh, Apple, Google on your phone. You get them on your tablet. But it's Amazon who invests in creating the Kindle. Uh, They've also got a superior piece of software. If you download a Kindle book, you can read it on your Kindle, but you can also use a Kindle app on an iPhone, on an Android tablet. You can read it on the web. Uh, Apple and Google, they both want to make more exclusive, more lockdown platforms that don't give you as much flexibility. And if you compare it to their brick-and-mortar competitors, you know, there's no, there's no competition. It's cheaper to get digital books. It's much more convenient to get digital books. Uh, and Amazon also has a store where if you're looking for something, you know, you put it in there. And if it doesn't exist in a digital form, you can order the paper book. All of which is, you know, it's a, it's a long way of getting to the point, but it's to say Amazon has won its market share the best possible way to win market share. It's by doing a better job. Uh, So we're debating this in New York City. And I remember when I was a kid, right in the neighborhood, you know, you could go to Broadway. There was a Shakespeare and Company down maybe on 4th Street. There was Forbidden Planet, which had comic books and specialty sci-fi books. You have The Strand, which is this fantastic used bookstore. But it's important when you're thinking about this issue to not think with these sort of narrow New York blinders on. And to recall that, you know, lots of people live in places that are not as big, where you might be talking about a lengthy drive to one book store, a limited selection that's there. Uh, Culture matters. Books are crucial to our society, and that's exactly why it is so important that Amazon has made it cheaper, easier, and more convenient for people all around the country and in a growing number of countries to access these crucial cultural artifacts. And that's why it's so important that you recognize that Amazon truly is the reader's friend and vote for this resolution. Thank you. Thank you, Matt Iglesias. And that's our motion. Amazon is the reader's friend. And our next debater will be arguing against it, Scott Turow. Scott Turow is an attorney and author of 12 books, including his newest novel, Identical. Ladies and gentlemen, Scott Turow. Well, I, I I listened to Matt carefully, and I want to begin with a major concession. He is not totally insane. Um, the, uh, he, he is right, of course, about certain things. Amazon charges low prices. Amazon has built a better mousetrap. Their software is great. Um, but uh, that's really not here. What we're, all that we're here to talk about. The question is whether uh, Amazon is the reader's friend. Friend, as we commonly understand the term, means uh, somebody you can rely on to treat your interests as equal to their own. Uh, And instead, what the record demonstrates uh, is that Amazon is nobody's friend but Amazon's. They sell three-fourths of the physical books that get sold in this country online. They sell at least that many e-books, especially when you count uh, self-published authors. Uh, There are parts of the book market that Amazon literally just owns. Uh, They have bought up the two largest producers of audiobooks. Uh, they've bought the biggest seller of used and rare books. They've swallowed up sites like Goodreads uh, or Bookfinder that might have become competitors to them. Is Amazon being the reader's friend, Matt? 
when they alter search results in exchange for promotional payments without acknowledging to their readers that they do that. Uh, or consider the subject you talked about, the chokehold that Amazon got on ebooks with the introduction of the Kindle in 2007. First, uh, and the only innovation in the Kindle, by the way, was not the device, it wasn't e ink. The innovation was when Amazon convinced the publishers to allow digital books, ebooks, to be sold at the same time that hardcovers went on, the sale, went on sale. The publishers agreed, and as soon as they did that, uh, friendly Amazon backstabbed the publishers and began selling ebooks at a loss of three to four dollars a piece on average. Amazon sold ebooks at a loss for two reasons: to stifle competition, they wanted to prevent anybody else competing device makers, places like bookstores, which would have been a great place to buy ebooks. They wanted to prevent them from going into the market in competition with them. And this loss selling was not honest free market competition on a level playing field. It was, frankly, a mugging sponsored by Wall Street. For, for 20 years since the company was established, Wall Street has given Amazon unlimited capital, uh, clearly with the expectation that even though the company didn't report a profit, sooner or later they would reap the immense profits that are bound to come from knocking all the competition aside. Then last year, Wall Street finally became concerned. When is this company ever going to make a profit? The Amazon share price slid by 25%, uh, and Amazon reacted by squeezing its suppliers, which is to say publishers and authors, uh, and finally, of course, Amazon started raising book prices. Scott Turow, I'm sorry, your time is up. And All right. Thank you very much. Thank you. I'm John Donvan, and this is Intelligence Squared U.S., Oxford-style debating on American shores. And a reminder of what's going on, we are halfway through the opening round of this Intelligence Squared U.S. debate. I'm John Donvan, the moderator. And we have four debaters, two against two, arguing it out over this motion. Amazon is the reader's friend. We have heard from the first two debaters and now on to the third. Let's please welcome to the lectern Joe Conrath. He is author of the best-selling Jack Daniels thriller series. He has sold over a million e-books through self-publishing. Joe Conrath. Uh, I'm smiling right now, seriously. Uh, what, what the heck am I doing on this panel? These guys went to Harvard. They went to Stanford. They went to Columbia University. I went to Columbia College. <laughs> so why am I here? I don't know why I'm here. Okay, I've sold some books. Okay, I like Amazon. By a show of hands, how many people here have bought something from Amazon? Okay. Let's, let's tell our listeners that that's everybody in the room. That is everybody, that is everybody in the room. Uh, Scott brought up publishers. Amazon is the big bad guy, but what about these publishers? Well, you know what? Publishers are the bad guy, and I'm going to tell you why. He said earlier, we need publishers for culture. Uh, that's incorrect. Publishers don't write books. Authors are the ones who impart this rich literary culture. The publishers are just high-priced middlemen. Publishers reject hundreds of books for every one that they publish. Now think about that. That's censorship. It really is. There are thousands of books out there 
that you have never seen because the guardians of culture, those publishers, have never published them. Nine of them were mine. (laughs) I got more than 500 rejections. Yeah, I know. Every time the mailman came, I had to pop a Prozac. I eventually did get published after my 10th book, and then I learned more about publishers. I learned that publishers charge too much. Scott's new book, which I'm sure is excellent, $28 for a hardcover. If you can't afford that and you're a huge Tarot fan, you can wait a year and get the cheaper-priced paperback. That's called windowing. That doesn't seem like publishers are really friends to readers. They would give them that paperback earlier because the paperback vastly outsells the hardcover. Publishers give out advances. Now, I got a nice advance, according to Publishers Weekly, 30000 bucks, And I felt I was really lucky because the average advance is $5,000. You're not going to live off $5,000, especially since publishers pay you that over the course of three years. My best year traditionally published, I made 50 grand. Last year, I made a million dollars. That's still 50 grand after taxes. <laughs> what it comes down to is publishers are deciding what you read and what you won't read. They decide how you get it and how much you pay for it. And they have that much power because they are a cartel. They are a form of monopoly called an oligopoly. The top five publishers control 80% of all the print books. As a writer, if I want to get into a bookstore, I have to go through those publishers. Amazon looked at this market, and they decided publishers weren't readers' friends. So they innovated. They opened the world's biggest bookstore with the best customer service. They invented the ebook reader that everybody wants. They gave all authors a chance to reach readers. Amazon isn't perfect. No person is. No company is. But let me tell you something. If Amazon right now were building a death machine that was fueled by the screams of puppies, (laughs) it still wouldn't matter because they are still a friend to readers. Joe Conrath, your time is up. Thank you very much. And our motion is Amazon is the reader's friend. And here to debate against that motion, Frank Four. He is the former editor of The New Republic, author of the book How Soccer Explains the World, an Unlikely Theory of Globalization. Ladies and gentlemen, Frank Foer. Oh, I'm feeling real good about the literary future right now. <laughs> Listening to these guys come out here and talk in such fawning, slavish terms about a corporation. Amazon is a company. They are not... They're not pursuing the greater good. They're not pursuing uh, cultural greatness. They are a company out to make a bunch of money. Matt says they aren't a monopoly. But when you control 70% of a market, that historically counts as a monopoly. Why do I care about this? Well, when I wrote an article about Amazon in the New Republic, what was their immediate response? They yanked ads from the New Republic. When they were having their dispute with Hachette, the publishing company... What did they do? Well, they punished the guy who wrote the book about the Koch brothers, but they let Paul Ryan's book go unscathed. They didn't punish him, them. When a company has that chokehold, when they can decide who wins and who loses in the publishing game, we need to be very, very afraid as citizens. 
So what is Amazon? Amazon is the everything store. Their ambitions are boundless. They name themselves after the largest river in the world. They're making Woody Allen movies, television shows now. They're selling you your underwear, your socks. They want everything. They want nothing else to be able to breathe on this planet except for their consumers and the people who make their goods. Now, I want to just say something in defense of publishers. Yeah, book publishers suck. They're an oligopoly. They're five big publishers. They're not great, but they're going to be a lot less of them because when, pe- when companies see one big, powerful player who controls their market, their natural instinct is to huddle together in safety and to cower. And that's what's happening now. Penguin merges with Random House. Hachette tries to buy Perseus. And that's going to continue in the face of Amazon. And that's going to continue to just squeeze the diversity out of our intellectual space. Now... If you go to Amazon's self-publishing page and you look at the self-published authors, there are thousands of them. And I have no idea which one of them to read. I look to publishers to see that somebody other than the author's mother thinks that the book is worth reading. So they play an important role in sifting through the market, which is, which is one great thing that they do. The second thing that they do is that they help authors who are usually introverts and nerds and very bad at self-promotion, break through in the world. Now, the most important thing that, th- that they do, and, and Joe is talking about fiction, which is fine. I, I think it's a different market than nonfiction. You can't just sit up one day and say, I'm going to go write a biography of Virginia Woolf. That's expensive. You've got to go travel to England. You've got you've to uh, photocopy things. Um, and... Um, <laughs> You, you, you know, in the way that you are able to finance a project like that is by an advance. They are Kickstarter for authors. And I, I could be wrong here, but I can't even... I, I, I was trying to think if I could think of any self-published nonfiction books that have been successful, any great biographies or histories, and I couldn't do that. And that stuff is going to suffer in this new world. And so I think in this debate, the presumption here should be that anything that is distantly threatening to the book is something that you should be very, very concerned about. It's it's your obligation here to step up, to send a message to Amazon, and to defend the book. Thank you. Thank you, Franklin Four. And that concludes round one of this Intelligence Squared U.S. debate where our motion is Amazon is the reader's friend. We move now on to round two. Round two is where the debaters address one another directly and take questions from me and you, from from you, our live audience here in New York City. We have two teams debating this motion. Amazon is the reader's friend. We've heard one team, Joe Conrath and Matt Iglesias, argue for the motion. They're saying that Amazon is the reader's friend and that this is blatantly obvious because readers are flocking to Amazon. It's a company that gets more books to more people in more places than any other company in history. They represent it as a kind of a freedom from publisher tyranny. The team arguing against the motion, Franklin Four and Scott Garreau, they're saying it's all a trap. Um, Amazon is more than halfway on its way to controlling everything in publishing, that Amazon is only Amazon's friend, uh, and that there will be a problem down the road when its chokehold is complete, that this is a company that cares as much about books as it does about socks and blenders. And more than that, that the company uh, plays dirty. I want to go to um, the team that is arguing 
against the motion and put to you basically the, the front-line argument your opponents are saying. Their front-line argument is that readers are flocking to Amazon. And all by itself, that answers this question. Uh, Frank Four. So the world of the Internet is a deceptive one. It looks like it's wide open until it's not. But the people who arrive first and establish advantages in that world are the ones who win and win in a major way. It's what happened with Google. It's what happened with Facebook. It's what happened with Amazon. They were able to get there first and then build distribution systems, technology that's very, very hard for other companies to come in and compete with them. And the fact that they are the everything store and the fact that when we, we do go there, we're, we're also buying movies and, um, and food and everything, it just becomes a, you know, a matter of convenience for people to buy, buy books there. Let's let Matt Iglesias respond to that. So I think it's just false that Amazon is impossible for new startups to compete with. I think I bought these glasses at Warby Parker, which is an online glasses store. I got this suit from Alton Lane, which sells men's clothing online. I actually did get my socks at Amazon. Uh, but you see, I mean, venture capitalists in Silicon Valley are, in fact, willing to back online retail competitors to Amazon because they don't think it has the same kind of network effects as a Google or a Facebook. And you also see, I mean, I said this in my original point, but I, and I haven't hard to address, but e-books are sold by companies that are not Amazon, by well-financed companies called Google and called Apple. I want to take that to Scott Terrell. Well, I, I, the, the problem with <clears throat> Apple and Google as competitors is that they don't sell physical books. Uh, there aren't physical books there. They're not a full or a real competitor with Amazon in that sense. Uh, and they got into the e-book market uh, because they were unwilling to fully concede the space to Amazon. Joe Conrad. Well, <laughs> when did it become necessary for a company to buoy up its competition? And what company does not try to compete and gain as much market share as possible? But as they put, you don't, you've argued against oligopoly. They're saying that your, your alternative in oligopoly is a monopoly. Well, well look, Scott, so, so Scott just said otherwise. He correctly pointed out that Apple was not originally in the book market. They didn't care as much about books as Amazon did. They, but they, they saw told- that Amazon was taking over. They wanted to move in. They haven't gained much market share because their product is not quite as good. But if Amazon did any of these horrible things, or if book publishers had any confidence in their own ability to market authors, they, they could sell them to those people like, Okay. Big yeah. E Frank, retailers. Frank Four. Okay. Frank Four. That's wishful thinking. I mean, it's wishful to imagine that you know Penguin Random House is going to recreate um, e-commerce. Amazon invented e-commerce and they did it very successfully. The problem isn't that they've done it successfully and and own the market. The problem is that they use their size to treat the the peop- the, the whole economy very badly. They don't just want to beat. The publishers, they want to destroy them. They call them antediluvian losers with rotary telephones. They conceived a project called. Yeah, but they kind of are. There, there, there was a project called the Gazelle Project. <laughs> you know, they're antediluvian losers, and, and, and you know what? God bless them. The reason that they, their commitment to, to things other than profit, yes, they are obsessed with profit, but they're also, they also publish poetry, and they publish histories, and they publish other things that don't make conventional sense on a balance sheet. 
Amazon referred to, they, they tried to kill the small publishers in something called the Gazelle Project, where they wanted to negotiate with them in a way where they said that the, the small publishers were sickly gazelle, and they would pounce on them like a cheetah. Um, it, All it, right, it, let's, you know, let's let uh, the, the defender of the gazelle killer respond. I, uh, <laughs> <laughs> Joe Conrad. A gazelle to everybody who votes for yeah. Okay. I've listened to you guys, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to back off on my stance for a little bit. You, you made a point. Uh, advances for works of nonfiction that take a long time, uh, we should support these. Franklin said something great. Only one thing, but he said something great. He said, you know what advances are like? This moment. Advances are like Kickstarter for authors. You know what's better than an advance that takes 52.5% of your money? How about... Kickstarter. Okay, there's a presumption that's been made in the side arguing in favor of this motion that traditional legacy publishing is a tyranny. And I want to I focus on that point with a technique we're introducing tonight, uh, a 30-second rebuttal round about whether or not traditional publishing actually functions as a tyranny. Which of you would like to go first? I'll be happy Scott to talk Tarot, about okay, it. Scott Turow, okay, your 30 seconds. If, if, we'll if end you... like this, and your 30 seconds start now. Right now, and it's a great thing, there are alternatives for the publishers, for the, for the authors whom those publishers uh, reject. And that's the self-publication route. Works for some, and that is a great thing. Doesn't work for most, but it's still great that it works for some. The problem is that the company that, that Joe champions, Amazon, wants to put the publishers out of business. They have no interest whatsoever in letting the publishers survive. It's good for them if they're gone. Joe Conrath. Your 30 seconds starts now. Okay. Um, We don't need publishers. They are middlemen. They were once essential because they were the only way you could get your book into bookstores. They were the only way to connect an author and a reader. Now we do not need them. We can reach readers, and I can reach more readers through Amazon than I could with the 10-something publishers, all of which were big publishers, that I worked for. And it's not equal. It's not like you can choose to self-publish or legacy publish because legacy publish makes you jump through Frank Ford. Here's why we're going to win this debate. These are the Manichaean guys. They say self-published authors should win and the traditional publishing houses should lose. We are the men of peace. We believe that there's no reason that you can't have a world where there are self-published authors working through Amazon and traditional publishing houses. That provides pluralism, diversity, a very rich culture. Why can't we go there? Because you guys have, it seems like, a little bit of a chip on your shoulder about the publishing houses, as does Amazon, and want to destroy them. Matt Iglesias, and the the question which has still not been answered is, why is publishing traditionally a tyranny? Traditional book publishers are much too incompetent to be a tyranny. (laughs) I, I agree with Frank. In principle, there's no reason why there can't be coexistence. And if you look at the movie industry or the music industry, you see competing digital retailers and you see publishers of these things. And that's because movie studios are good at marketing movies. So they do not need to fear any one distribution platform because they will sell their movies through other ones. Book publishers are bad at their job of marketing books. That's why they're afraid of Amazon. Hi. So 
For the kind so, of could you tell us your name, please? Oh, hi, I'm Carrie. Um, so for books that are currently out of um, print, you know, that are still available from Amazon, just, you know, from other sellers who actually want to sell that book, you know, isn't Amazon the reader's friend for that reason? In 2008, Amazon bought a company called Book Surge, which provided print-on-demand services for small publishers, for often for out-of-print books. Uh, and Amazon immediately turned around to those small publishers and told them they would not have access any longer to the Amazon site unless they used Book Surge, which uh, at that time offered a more expensive product. And the publishers had to choose between doing any business at all uh, or standing up to Amazon. You know, something that connects, I think, the last two points that, that I saw recently is uh, the world of, of public domain books, you know, books that are, that are old and out of copyright. Uh, thanks to Amazon, you can go online, like, right now, and you can get the complete works of Jane Austen for free. Uh, that's pretty great for readers, it seems to me, and not something traditional publishers are interested in doing. You know, they're not, they're not making money that way. And it's just an example of the way in which a relentless desire to kind of serve this digital market, to serve consumers, to gain as big a share as possible, has really made Amazon a reader's friend. And Joe Conrath, do you want to comment on that? No. Okay. I'm John Donvan, and this is Intelligence Squared U.S., Oxford-style debating on American shores. Our motion is this, Amazon is the reader's friend. This is a debate from Intelligence Squared U.S. I'm John Donvan. We have two teams of two debating for and against. Joe Conrath and Matt Iglesias arguing for, Frank Four and Scott Turow arguing against. We're taking questions from the audience right down the front here. Greetings. Uh, I will admit I'm a literary agent, so I'm one of the first gatekeepers that, that uh, writers have to go through. And my question is, what kind of readers are we talking about? Because the books that come in to me are really unedited. So I think readers benefit from books that are edited by publishers, and we haven't talked about the editorial process okay. and what the publishers bring to I'm that. I'm going to put that question to the side arguing for the motion, because it sounds like more of a challenge to them. Uh, do you want to take that, Joe? Uh, uh, Editing is fantastic. I mean, I'm, I'm an editor in my, in my day job uh, at, a, at a website. Um, You're a gatekeeper. I, I am. I, I, I keep the gates of what articles go up on the site. And I'm also a writer. And I feel like my writing has always been improved by editing. I think the particular way that editing of books happens, that the sequence from the writer to the agent to the publisher to the editor who works for the publisher, you know, that is being severely challenged by the current dynamic. But anyone who really cares about making their writing better, you know, finds ways to work with editors. And that happens in newspapers. It happens in magazines. It happens right. in websites. And so Scottero, Matt, Matt is saying that it, it, you don't need to have a, you know, a, a, a big five editor editing your book in order to get edited. I, well, I don't know where else it's going to come from unless the model that Joe uh, believes in is one where uh, the self-published author goes out and hires his own marketing advice if he's not a marketer himself, his own editor if he's not, uh, if he's not his own editor, which is not a good idea, I think, ever. It's like being your own lawyer. Um, so, uh, and, and I don't know where these authors who are just starting out are going to get that editorial advice, uh, where they're going to get the bankroll uh, to, to finance the well, marketing Joe, and the editorial. Joe, you live it. I mean, who edits for you? you I, I, I love editors, and um, I, have, I have several editors, and they're easy to find. Uh, there's a, a whole group in this, in this country called freelancers, 
When you are edited by one of the big five, they own that book for your lifetime plus 70 years. That editor who spent two weeks on a book that it took you two years to write gets paid for that long. I'd rather pay a freelancer sunk costs and then keep the money from that point on. Frank Ford, what's wrong with that argument? So freelance editors are, you know, their their life with the project is, uh, you said, two weeks or something. Um, They're not fully invested in the success of a project. When a publisher edits a book, they have very, very strong incentives for excellence. And the worst thing is if writers are going to perceive editing as just kind of an unnecessary expense because no writer really, truly believes that they need to be edited. And, and, and writers, are, writers are the people in the world who are least able to see the flaws in their own work. Well, everything has a value, but the value also has a cost. And the cost for a legacy editor is, in my opinion, too high. I had a great publisher at Hyperion for my first six books. Her name was Leslie Wells. Uh, she was great. And now... She was fired, so I can hire Leslie Wells whenever I want to, and she just appeared on my blog talking about her new book, which she self-published. And is she editing it herself? No, she's going to get an editor. Another question, please. Hi, um, I'm Sadie. Um, Hi, Sadie. (laughs) uh, My question is directed mostly towards the opposition, particularly towards Scott, because he's a published novelist. do you think that if Amazon really does become this monopoly that you fear it will be or fear it already is, do you think the quality of books that are getting out there and getting popular are going to decrease? Uh, the, sh- the short answer is um, yes, and it's, but it, it's for complicated reasons. Um, what I worry about is that um, – most authors can't afford to be self-published authors. They can't spend years and years working on their books. They can't... First-time author has no money to hire an editor uh, or a marketing guru. Uh, And so the temptation and what happens with most of the self-published authors is that they produce book after book, sometimes several in one year. Now, I will tell you, Trollope and Dickens wrote at that pace. So it's not... I'm not saying it's all bad, but I am telling you that the odds are that most people aren't Trollope and Dickens. And so, yes, that system, I think, will produce uh, works of lower quality and, and less thoughtful works. Matt Iglesias? I, I think that Scott is, is skipping a lot of logical steps when he gets to the story. What he is actually describing is not a world in which Amazon has ruined literary culture. He's describing the fear, a fear that I think a lot of people share, and not totally unreasonably, that readers that then maybe the world actually just doesn't like want to pay for great literature and there's a these other sort of questions big questions about the future of books are very important but we have to understand that like amazon's commitment to serving readers and to serving the book market in a digital world is part of what helps books stay viable in a world where they face competition from all kinds of other entertainment let me see if the other side wants to respond uh, Frank you know amazon Amazon isn't just a search engine. It's not just a place you can go in and look for whatever book that you're interested in. Amazon has a homepage, a very powerful homepage, that drives traffic to books. They, decide, they pick winners and they pick losers. Um, right now, when you type in, um, you type in uh, 
police noir novels into their search engine, you get a series of results. How do you think that series of results is ranked? It's some, a publisher has paid for one of the top ranks there. You think Amazon invented that? That's called co-op. That's why when you go into a Barnes & Noble, you see 400 Scott Perot books it's, stacked it is, up in front, no, no. and you see my one book out in section. But it's different. It's different if you have one big player picking the winners and losers. And that's, that's the point you guys haven't really addressed here tonight, which is they, they already have 67% yeah. of the ebook market. I mean, just as, just as the referee of the debate, I agree that you haven't addressed it. Now, you've, you've, you've refuted it as, why should I deal with it? Because it's not going to happen, Matt. And, and, and uh, Joe, you're refuting it as, I can't talk about hypotheticals. Fair enough if that's your response to their hypothetical that you, you just don't think it's worth dealing with. But I, 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 I want to give you one okay, more. Let me try to respond to it as clearly as possible. If their argument is that in a counterfactual world in which no other websites existed, that then, in that world, Amazon would be a threat to literature and to readers... That's true, but it also tells you that in the actual world, where there are lots of other websites, it isn't the kind of threat they pose. That to generate this threat, they have to assume a crazy series of subsequent events to take us from here to this dystopia. Um, Let's see. Sir. Well, I meant the fellow in front of you, but you win by aggression. (laughs) My name is Eric. There's two questions quickly for Matt Iglesias. Just make one question, okay? One question Pick for one. Matt Iglesias. <clears throat> um, the stock market values Amazon at a really high level, despite the fact that it's never made any money. And, of course, that's because the stock market, with the support of the management of the company, believes that they're going to change what they do. Is it possible that you think that Amazon is a friend to readers today, but that five years from now or ten years from now, it won't any longer be friends to readers? Well, you know, the, this, the, the stock is actually down 25% over the past year. And, and, yeah, yeah, yeah. But, but I mean, tw- 25% is a lot. And that's during the context of a rising stock market. And I think that's happening because the investing community has begun to lose faith in this idea that this kind of cut prices to the bone, dominate everything, then jack the prices up. It's dawning on them that that doesn't really work, that you can build a successful business of low margins and, and high volume. That's why you've seen share prices starting to go down. That's why you've seen investors backing new e-retail startups, because they see there isn't this kind of opportunity for monopolization so, that people fear. So your answer to the question, again, is that you just don't think it's a realistic scenario. Well, I mean, I, I don't think it's true that the stock market even thinks it's a realistic scenario. You don't think Amazon's become more interested in a profit in the last year? Well, they've started to become interested, but this is the They question. raised the price of Prime 25%. No, Scott, I, I understand that, but I'm saying this is the question, right, is do they have the ability to first secure a monopoly then jack up prices and receive these huge rents, right? I, I, Wall Street feels that they don't have that opportunity, which is why their stock prices started to go down. Now, if you want to talk specifically about books and price increases, we should talk about the time the big five book publishers and Apple formed a cartel to fix prices and raise them. That's why ebook prices have gone up, which is separate from Prime and Amazon and, and all that other stuff. And that concludes round two of this Intelligence Squared U.S. debate, where our motion is... Amazon is the reader's friend. On to round three, closing statements. 
Our motion is Amazon is the reader's friend. And here to summarize his position supporting this motion, Joe Conrath. He's author of several dozen novels, including the Jack Daniels thriller series. (laughs) I have one fan. Thank you. I'm not going to sum up everything. I'm not going to use any more. I'm not going to introduce any new data. I'm not going to introduce any new facts. I'm not going to try to to sway over on the logic here. I'm going to say this one thing. I will bribe you if you change your vote to Amazon as a friend of readers. This is how I'm going to bribe you. I'm going to give you all of my e-books for free. And because I know Scott is such a fan of piracy, I am also going to give you all of his (laughs) e-books. For free. And actually, of course, I'm kidding, but underneath that, I'm kind of not kidding. I have the ability to, with Amazon, give away my books, put them on sale, lower the price, make them free. I've sold millions of books. I've given away millions of books. Amazon allows me to do that. Tell me that's not being a friend to a reader. And remember, please vote. Amazon is the reader's friend. Thank you. Thank you, Joe Conrath. And that's our motion. Amazon is the reader's friend. And here to summarize his position against this motion, Scott Turow, his former president of the Authors Guild and author of Presumed Innocent. Um, I'm probably dating myself, as I usually do. But long ago on Saturday Night Live, Garrett Morris played a a character called uh, Chico Escuela. And uh, and Chico used to say uh, regularly, baseball been very, very good to me. Uh, And the truth of the matter is Amazon has been very, very good to me. Uh, They have sold thousands and thousands of my books with their relentless discounting that has driven sales on which, when we talk about hardcover books, very nice for me because I get a full royalty on on each of those sales. Um, I I do not judge things by on the basis of what's good for me. Uh, In point of fact, I spent 20 years trying to get my first novel published. I was Joe Conrath, uh, and I am concerned about what is good for authors in general, not what's good for best-selling authors. Amazon wins. We all have to become entrepreneurs. The best-selling authors are the people who will prosper most in that series, in that situation, because it's an undifferentiated mass. People whose names are already known would be the winners. Remember that these gentlemen do not deny that Amazon's ultimate goal is to to destroy traditional publishing, to force every author to become an entrepreneur, his own marketer, his own editor, and we will lose good writers in the process. Thank you, Scott Turow. The motion is Amazon is the reader's friend. And here summarizing his position supporting this motion, Matt Iglesias, executive editor of Vox.com. I think it's really important when you consider voting on this motion to really think about and listen to the arguments that our opponents have made. They're these very complicated, very hypothetical ideas with a lot of red herrings and a lot of distractions from the core question here, which is, has Amazon been and is it now a friend to readers? And I think they haven't really disputed that it is, that Amazon has made books cheaper, that Amazon is outcompeting the largest and richest technology companies in the world by offering a superior platform for shopping for books. Now, it is true that if many, many things that are not true became true at some hypothetical time, Amazon might be an enemy to readers 
in that world. I, I studied philosophy in college, and this possible world stuff is it's fascinating. Um, and you can, thanks to Amazon, go buy David Lewis's book about the causal analysis of counterfactuals. You can get edited volumes that were written by his students. Uh, but if there was no Amazon, it would be extremely difficult to find David Lewis's book or all those other books about the metaphysics of causality, hypotheticals, etc. Because, you know, like, Brick-and-mortar bookstores have limited space. They don't want to carry that crap. Amazon, you can get all these books there. Do they want to take over the world? Sure, of course they do. And their nefarious plan for taking over the book world is to create the cheapest, best, and most convenient way to buy books. Other people with other interests have legitimate beefs with Amazon, but they got those beefs because Amazon is the reader's friend. Thanks, Matt Iglesias. And that's the motion. Amazon is the reader's friend. And here to summarize his position against this motion, Frank Four, former editor of The New Republic. We live in a fast-moving world. Um, disruption is our secular religion. And a lot of the things that get disrupted and are replaced with something good, a lot of things that get disrupted just disappear. Here, we're dealing with something very, very special and very, very important. And the economics of the book business, and therefore the substance of it, are about to change. It could be wonderful. It could be a dystopian hell. Amazon already is a monopoly. By any traditional standard, they are a monopoly. They control 67% of the ebook market, 40% of the total book market. And so you tonight have the opportunity to take a stand. I guarantee you Amazon is watching tonight. <laughs> but here's the thing. Your stand is cost-free in one regard. It's not going to bring in any government regulation. You're not going to put anybody out of business. But you have a chance to send a message to Amazon and say, look, you have a lot of power right now. Your power is probably going to keep increasing. Don't abuse it. And so you know, maybe you don't believe in the worst hypothetical scenarios that we, we, we've talked about here, but you care about the word, you care about the thought, you care about the underlying thing. And so be brave, take a stand, vote against this resolution, and be good stewards of word and thought. Thank you, Frank Four. And that concludes closing statements and round three of this Intelligence Squared U.S. debate. We've had you vote twice on this motion. Amazon is the reader's friend once before the debate and once again afterwards. And remember, the team whose numbers have changed the most in percentage point terms will be declared our winner. So let's look at what the preliminary uh, voting results were. The motion, Amazon is the reader's friend, before the debate, 41% agreed with this motion, 28% were against, and 31% were undecided. Those are the first results. Now let's look at the second vote on this motion. Amazon is the reader's friend. The team arguing for the motion, their second vote was 42%. They went from 41% to 42%. They picked up one percentage point. That's the number to beat. The team against the motion, first vote 28%, second vote 50%. They picked up 22 percentage points. The team arguing against the motion. Amazon is the reader's friend, has won this debate. Our congratulations to them. And thank you for me, John Donvan, and Intelligence Squared U.S. We'll see you next time. This Intelligence Squared U.S. was held in front of a live audience at the Kaufman Music Center in New York City. Dana Wolf is our executive producer. Robert Rosencrantz is chairman. 
Maureen McMurray, Taylor Quimby, and Rob Christensen are the radio producers. Damon Whittemore is the audio engineer. Clea Chang, director of production. Chris Kamakawa is our researcher. And I'm your host, John Donvan. For more information or to purchase tickets to future events, visit iq2us.org. To hear the full unedited version or to sign up for the Intelligence Squared podcast, visit npr.org forward slash Intelligence Squared. Crucial support of the Intelligence Squared U.S. debate series comes from its generous members and donors, with a special thank you to the Rosencrantz Foundation, dedicated to promoting fresh and effective intellectual perspectives and encouraging the highest levels of achievement and innovation in public policy, higher education, and the arts. Additional support comes from Christopher W. Johnson, Profit Capital Asset Management, the Georgie Orstrom Jr. Foundation, Paul E. Singer, David A. Coulter, and Mortimer D. A. Sackler. Intelligence Squared is distributed by NPR.